Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. I got to admit, before this week, I'd never even heard of microdosing. Wasn't even familiar with, uh, with the term at all. But apparently it is a thing. As described in the National Post, microdosing is the regular consumption of small, non-trippy amounts of psychedelic substances such as LSD and magic mushrooms. Now, we're all familiar with the fact that people do take those drugs for a specific reason. But if you're taking a very tiny amount of them and not getting high, why are you doing that? But apparently there's a lot of people who do. And so there's an interesting question to be examined about whether there's any benefit to doing so. And that gets into this new study. Some uh, researchers at the University of Toronto have completed one of the first psychological profiles of the growing microdosing community. The study found microdosers scored overall in neuroticism, lower overall in neuroticism, dysfunctional attitudes, higher on a brief wisdom scale that measures beliefs like I'm in touch with my feelings or I have a good sense of humor about myself. They seem more open-minded, more curious, more creative. That's a little too soon to conclude that microdosing is causing that. But what if we got to a point where we could demonstrate that? Would people be willing to engage in this? I wanted to explore some of these issues. Uh, two of the researchers joining us, and I should note, uh, sharing their own opinions, not necessarily speaking for their, their fellow researchers, but Thomas Anderson is a PhD student of cognitive neuroscience. He's research director at the Center for Psychedelic Studies at the University of Toronto. Rotem Petrenker is associate director at the Center for Psychedelic Studies at the U of T. He's a PhD student, uh, student in clinical psychology at York University. Both are on the line with us this afternoon. Gentlemen, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Rob. Thanks for having us. So, yeah, let's start with, you know, kind of the, the, the general stuff first, and so people understand what it is we're talking about here. So we talk about microdosing in this context, LSD, but what do we mean by, by microdosing, if one of you wants to take that on? Sure. Um, so to be more specific, I think it's not just LSD. Uh, we were looking into both LSD and psilocybin, or uh, magic mushrooms. And when we say microdose, there's not really um, a strong, rigorous definition of what it is. Uh, some refer to it like uh, Jim Fadiman uh, coined the definition that it is a subperceptual dose. Uh, but I, the, the definition we used for our study is something that's about 10% of a recreational dose. Yeah, okay. And so what, I mean, what would be the purpose then of taking a, a substance that way? That's a great question uh, because when we asked people, we got... A lot of different responses people were taking it a lot of people were just curious they wanted to see what it would do perhaps because there's a hype but also because they may have heard things from friends family co-workers you know uh, but some people uh, wanted to microdose because they wanted to help with depression or anxiety some people wanted to enhance their creativity uh, some people heard that it's good for focus so yeah people had a lot of reasons to try it 
is one of the reasons for for microdosing maybe just a, a fear of you know whatever consequences might follow from from using a, a drug in in a more substantive way is is this seen as as safer almost um i don't think uh, a lot of people view it like that at least not in this cultural moment i think it, it's a great idea uh, if anyone wants to take this kind of uh, substance in a larger dose i think it's much safer to start from a microdose uh, because we don't know what these substances actually do yet and so you never know so far we don't have any reports of you know allergies or adverse reactions but just in case someone is sensitive to this kind of substance it's probably safer to take it in a small dose i'm of course not prescribing it i'm just saying better to be careful you know Right, sure. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, so this ended up being a pretty big study, and, and it's a way, I guess, of kind of better understanding this this microdosing community, who who these people are, what their reasons are. So what what sparked this study? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, great question. Uh, actually, we just noticed that people were doing it. Uh, uh, there's there you know uh, communities online such as um, Reddit where there's one subreddit dedicated to microdosing and we noticed that it was growing exponentially people were microdosing a lot and a lot of people were getting interested in this kind of practice but there is virtually no research when we started uh, our project so we kind of wanted to see uh first whether or not there's truth to or i guess that's that's uh, not a careful way of framing it we wanted to um, uh, see whether there is there are differences in what people are reporting between microdosers and non-microdosers, and we wanted to see what people who microdose report in terms of benefits and drawbacks, because a lot of the research so far has been more kind of top-down. This is what we assume that these substances do, and so that's what we're going to study, and we wanted to hear from the community what they report so that we can later test that out in a lab setting. Right. So in, in terms of what people are reporting, and, and, and you know, there were two groups in this study, as I understand, those who, who microdose and those who don't, but there's not a, a control placebo. And if people are reporting positive benefits from microdosing, do we know that it's a direct result of that or just because they expect to get benefits from doing so? And, and there is potentially kind of a placebo effect. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. The short answer is you are correct. We don't, we can't make any causal claims. We don't know that microdosing does anything at this point. That's why we need to run a lab study. Because, yeah, there, there could be expectancy bias and, like, various other biases um, involved in the way people responded, right? You take something and then you say, yeah, I guess I do feel better. Uh, so that's pretty common. However, I will say that um, one of the measures we used was a creativity measure that kind of is not, it's not self-reported. It's harder to fake because you are being asked to think of creative uses for an item and then three judges that are blind to who you who reported these uses uh, rate these uses on how creative they are. And we also find, found that microdosers were more creative. That being said, we still don't know that that is caused by microdosing, but that is one thing that we can kind of be more confident about. Right. But, you know, I mean, we can take this in context. There has been other research done uh, around microdosing, studies that have suggested that, that maybe there is a benefit. So... What, what are we to make of, of those other studies then? As far as I know, there was one, there were, yeah, there were, there were two studies done on microdosing. One of them in the Netherlands, where um, psychedelics enthusiasts came to 
uh, sort of like a one-day conference, and we're administered a relatively uh, large dose of psilocybin, and the acute effects of of this dose were tested um, right, like immediately after. And they also found that people who microdosed were higher on creativity, specifically the kind of creativity that we measured, which again, kind of, it, it goes well with our findings. Um, but again, that's, that's not a lab study that has, yeah. that, that sample is very confounded. Well, um, where, yeah. so where did the two of you come down? I mean, do, do you think that there's some potential benefit here? I mean, you know, the, the idea of creativity, I think that's, that's something that intrigues people. I mean, there's also the other side of it. I mean, in helping people with depression or, or PTSD, uh, you know, the, the suggestion that there's potential, where, where do you guys come down on that? Yeah, yeah I, I, think, I think we absolutely, uh, I, I think we absolutely think that there's quite a bit of potential and that's part of what this first study uh, was meant to show was n- because we were doing this online study, so we couldn't actually say microdosing works. But what we can conclude from this study is people think it works, and there's a lot of potential here. Uh, and especially uh, we can sort of look at avenues for specific potential that people are reporting. So um, instead of just sort of sitting in our offices and uh, pondering and thinking, oh, what do you think microdosing does? We can just ask the community, what does it do for you? And then take those responses, turn them into questionnaires and the kinds of things that uh, scientists do to measure these phenomenon, questionnaires and tasks and that sort of thing. Uh, and then we can actually measure. So we definitely think there's a lot of potential here, especially for uh, for mood is probably the most uh, potential, uh, the most highest potential research avenue. Uh, creativity, uh, potentially focus and uh, and yeah, some other things like like you mentioned. Uh, who knows? P- PTSD could be something we could look into in the future, and sort of the clinical applications of this for depression and anxiety and that sort of thing. But yeah, so we want to do the controlled studies first. Yeah. What are the challenges in that, by the way? Because we are talking about controlled substances here. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's right. So we had. The way I was conceptualizing it before was that this this project has, it's a tripod. So one leg would be funding, one leg would be getting um, Health Canada to authorize our work, and the third would be to find a manufacturer, because the way things are right now, it's extremely difficult to find someone who can manufacture kind of, it's called uh, good manufacturing process psilocybin, so kind of medical-grade psilocybin. Um, we've been very fortunate, and um, a philanthropist has uh, stepped in from the uh, Sengal Health Group, and he is funding the first uh, our first study about microdosing, but uh, we're still a ways away from getting regulatory approval. We still need to apply for Health Canada. However, I will say that our experience with them has been really great. Uh, whenever we have questions, they are really forthcoming and helpful. Mm-hmm. And it, it feels really good to know that, you know, that even ultimately if we don't get approval for some reason, it would be because we didn't do it right and not because the government somehow doesn't want us to do this work. Um, and finally, yeah, we're in touch with several um, potential manufacturers and we're hoping to get the substances by the winter. Yeah. 
Well, and, I mean, the other thing, especially when we talk about LSD, I mean, there's there's a stigma attached to the drug. Obviously, there you know, there's stories from the 50s and 60s about all kinds of weird experiments that were done with, with LSD, but just the whole psychedelic culture and tripping out and, and all of that. But I mean, that's that's not what we're talking about here. How, how do you overcome those those stereotypes and those stigmas? I'd, I'd, I really, say, um, yeah. I'd, I'd actually say uh, it's it's actually been surprising that we haven't had more pushback uh, on on these topics on psychedelics. Uh, and I think the media has been actually playing a pretty positive role this time around. Uh, and as long as the media, you know, keeps the truth of the substances uh, in their purview instead of, uh, sort of as long as the media is not demonizing the substances, then people won't necessarily think the substances are so bad. And and we can see people's mind change on substances like we saw with cannabis becoming legal. So, you know, it was illegal before and you had sort of the reefer madness sort of stuff going on. But, you know, average citizens eventually come to understand, actually, this isn't so bad. Uh, and now it's legal. Uh, and the I guess sort of the media turned against the substances and the government turned against the substances in the late sixties. And that would cause public perception to change. But right now, uh, with what with the, the work that maps is doing with MDMA, uh, and they've, they've picked like the right groups to try to help right away. I mean, helping uh, veterans with PTSD is a very, uh, important choice, but also a very publicly relevant choice. You're, people are pretty sympathetic to veterans or uh, firefighters or police officers or battered women and children and helping them whenever they can't be helped by more traditional means. Yeah. So uh, so they've really built a good foundation for that. And then with this stuff, uh, with, with psychedelics, uh, the Johns Hopkins group started, you know, with helping people with end-of-life, uh, with terminal cancer, deal with end-of-life anxiety. Uh, and then with this microdosing stuff, again, a lot of the benefits seems, a lot of the potential seems to be for benefiting mood. And uh, we're sort of framing it as potential uh, depression kind of things. and But also creativity things, because it's important to remember that these are also, you know, the, for the betterment of the well, as Bob Jesse said. Um, and yeah, it's important to remember with microdosing that it is sub-hallucinogenic. So people aren't having uh, this kind of you see things that aren't there right. experience, uh, which is which is often an overblown way of looking at uh, even a regular dose of LSD. You might uh, you may very well not see things that are not there. It might just change the way that you think. Well, yeah, it, I like that term, changing the way you think. I mean, it, it, when it comes to these substances, it's probably an easier sell to say, look, you know, we're, we're trying to help people who are, are dealing with uh, certain conditions or, you know, to sort of approach it from a medical or therapeutic perspective. But, you know, the idea of people just choosing to you know, want to be more creative or, you know, just to kind of affect their own day-to-day -day life in, in a positive way, that's a lot different than a medical or a therapeutic approach. Do, do you think that's a tougher sell? I think it's uh, I think it's important to keep both in mind. It, it might be an easier public sell to say that this is for helping uh, for helping people with problems with mental health disorders, um, and I think that's an important first step. Um, but 
I, I mean, yeah, I, I don't really, it might be a harder sell if that was the only sell. If the only sell was take this drug, it'll make you more creative. Yeah. That might be a harder sell, but, uh, but trying to, to frame it as, look, this helps people and it doesn't only help people that are suffering. It helps people that are doing okay, mm-hmm. uh, or it potentially does. So right, we don't know that microdosing does anything, but that's mm-hmm. the potential we're looking into is it might actually help you know the person who's doing just fine do even better. Uh, and our sample speaks to uh, speaks to some of that with the the people that have tried microdosing. I mean, they range from, as Rotem said, people who are looking to, you know, sort of self-medicate to people who are just curious. And in terms of occupations, this ranges all the way from, you know, a lot of students, but also lawyers, uh, police officers, stay-at-home moms, construction workers, sort of across the spectrum of, uh, of society and, and social, socioeconomic class and, and all that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a very interesting research, and as you say, uh, you know, real basis for some further research on, on all of this. Uh, gentlemen, we'll leave it there. Really appreciate you both making some time for us here today. Thanks so much for this. Thank you, Rob. Great chatting with you. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right, there you go. Thomas Anderson, uh, Rotem Betranker, both with the Center for Psychedelic Studies at the University of Toronto. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.